Hi, friends. I'm Katie. And I'm Olivia. And we are Podcast by Proxy, Canadian True Crime. Welcome. We're live. Finally. For real this time. (laughs) It's been a trip to get here, guys. We've had some serious technical difficulties this uh, this evening. It's been a good hour that we've been trying to do this. Yeah, we sat down, I believe, at, well, 45 minutes. Let's be generous to ourselves. Yeah. That's all right, though. It's a never, never a dull time in the, in the studio, if you will. <laughs> but yeah. welcome back. Sorry, I'm still fascinated by, and I'm not going to say what it is, but you and I both know that case I was just talking about. Just the value. Oh, yeah. Hopefully, I think Katie's going to cover something really uh, different soon here on the podcast. So keep an eye out for that coming up because I'm quite interested to learn more about this specific phenomenon. But um, yeah, welcome back to the show. Just wanted to say thank you so much to everybody for the love on our first two episodes with 604 Podcast Network. Everyone's been so kind, so thank you so much. And patient. It's been a kind of a different week or two for us, so we appreciate it, and we should be back to regular scheduled programming completely now that birthdays and holidays and network change and all this is... We're, get, we're good. We got this. Yeah, we're back on a straight and narrow path, if you will. Been a little mm-hmm. bit chaotic here on the pod, but uh, we're good. And we've got another unsolved case for you today. Um, I did actually just want to go over something because the the Jonathan Bruce <laughs> Jonathan Bruce. Okay, I still can't see get how there. hard that is. When we were trying to make that short little reel, I kept doing that over and over. Yeah, that makes sense. It is for some reason and that's difficult w- to say, but. Bruce um, is part of my name. It is. And I still struggle. It is part of your name, which is like, funny. That was the worst embarrassing part of that. Uh, but yeah, no. So we covered, Katie covered the, uh, you know, unsolved, if you will, murder of Jonathan Bruce last Heavy air week. Um, yeah. On the podcast, which has seen huge listenership um and sharing and everything so thank you so much to everyone for that and for sharing that case and you know listening to it we recorded that and i think we talked about this we recorded those episodes in advance in anticipation for the network change and actually (laughs) when i was looking up some of the information for the social media posts for that case um i actually stumbled across a Fort St. John RCMP page that has Daryl Dowd, who Katie obviously mentioned in the episode, was Double the um, boy, male, if you will, that was with Jonathan um, at the motocross track ATVing the night before he was found dead. He was the owner of the ATV that we talk about. Yeah. Yeah. And so I found this page and it's actually he is wanted currently by the Fort St. John RCMP. Um, I'm going to read it. The Fort St. John RCMP is requesting the assistance of the public in locating 28-year-old Daryl Kenneth Dowd, who is currently wanted for two counts of theft of motor vehicle, dangerous operation of a conveyance, flight from police, assault with a weapon, 
possess weapon for a dangerous purpose, two counts of break and enter with intent, mischief under 5,000, and two counts of breach of release order. Um, it says here that he has been down in the lower mainland, uh, he, but he was last seen in Fort St. John in December of 2022, and it is believed he's still in that area. Um, Daryl Dowd is described currently as a Caucasian man, five foot 10, 161 pounds, short black hair, um, and brown eyes. So if anybody has information on Daryl Dowd's whereabouts, uh, please contact the Fort St. John RCMP at 250-787-8100. Uh, and if you do wish to remain anonymous, of course, call Crime Stoppers at 1-800-222-TIPS, uh, which is 1-800-222-8477, or you can submit a tip at uh, www.northernbccrimestoppers.ca. So, yeah, these are obviously unrelated charges than the case that we were talking about last week, um, but it is the same person that at one point was a person of interest and is, you know, thought to be the last person to have seen Jonathan alive. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, let's find this fucker. Yep, yep, yep. Um, yeah, so I wanted to put that information out there. I will post his photo as well on our social media app, Podcast by Proxy, so make sure to give that a, a follow or go check it out. Um, and one other thing I wanted to, to mention before we get into the episode was I noticed that we have a huge Spotify listenership. So if you're listening on Spotify yes. right now um, and you like the show, please, if you're feeling so inclined, just hit that uh, I think it's the rate. Is it rating button? Yeah, in right below. Yeah, when you're on our show's feed, right below our show logo, you'll see a little star with like a four point something or five or three, whatever, depending on the show. Click there and you can rate it yourself. It's super easy. It's like two clicks. Yeah, and you literally only have to have listened to like 60 seconds of an episode to have the option to rate a show. So if you've made it this far, you can rate the show right now just by clicking that button part and the of five the stars. It takes, Welcome. it's so helpful for us though, to gain traction on Spotify and to be able to be seen on charts and things like that. Um, we did end up on Apple Podcasts Canada chart again this Ooh. week, which is always so exciting yeah. for us because we are a smaller podcast. We are an indie pod and um, yeah, it's just really helpful. Just little things like that, a rating or a, re a, re a review on Apple Podcasts as well. <laughs> oh my gosh, it's going to be one of those days. Anyway, that was all the things that I really wanted to cover before we get into the episode. But yeah. Totes. Anything nope. from I you over there? Everything you said. No, no, you were really on like a roll there. Um, I was actually just double checking that I did not give false instructions how to rate the show. So I was just double checking the path. Perfect. That is correct. Currently, we are sitting at a 4.3, guys. Let's try for like a 4.5. Yeah. If Let's we, set a goal. Yeah. If we had a whole bunch of you guys listening right now, five star rate us on Spotify, we could get that review up. So mm -hmm. let's do this, guys. Anyways, yes, that would be so helpful. But today we are actually talking about Donna Jean Alcock. Um, and this case is in London, Ontario. This is going to go back to 1983. Um, and like I mentioned earlier, this is another unsolved case. So we're going to have a Great. lot of information here. And um, if you know anything, of course, I'm going to give you some options for 
phoning and tips and everything like that. And the, that info will also be in the show notes. Wunderbar. Let's I really do this. Just, or had the urge to click, you know, like. It's so funny. Like two seconds before we started recording, you were like, oh, I need to really wake up a bit. My voice is so like. Meh. Literally the second you hit record, it was like you started getting like the neck wag and like little hand gestures. It's like you get a whole level of sass when you pull that new mic in front of you. Oh, yeah. Yeah, this new mic has made me sassy for sure. But I do need it. I As she flicks her hair, people. The hair flick. Uh, I run monotone uh, <laughs> as, run a monotone. Default, as a default I run setting. hot. She runs monotone. I run very monotone. Uh, I know this, and I really have to like turn it on to, uh, to to try and get out of that. And it still doesn't really work. As if you've been a listener for a while, you know. Sometimes I'm just very bland, but I'm always excited to be here. So it's just <laughs> I just have to try really hard to sound it. Are you? Yeah. Are I you? Am. <laughs> I am. I'm kidding. All right. I know you are. Anyway, you like a bug. It's time. So Donna Jean Alcock, she was born March 7th, 1966 in London, Ontario. She has uh, green eyes, dirty blonde hair. She was described as quiet, funny, loving, and a homebody. Donna's mother, Carolyn, said that her entire face lit up when she smiled. Uh, She had a really close-knit family. She had two sisters. She was especially close with her sister, Laura, who she shared a room with. Um, But she also has a sister, Tammy, who that all three of the girls were really close. Did you ever really want a sister? Yeah, but I think only because I didn't have one. Yeah, Like, thinking about it now, I'm not sure that I... I don't know. I know. That's kind of why I asked because I was rethinking of this. And I was like, God, when I was like, well, any age when I was younger, I really wanted a sister to like grow up with, maybe share a room with, do all those fun things you see in shows. But again, it's very Instagram v. reality. Yeah. I think it's definitely just like you want what you don't have. Yeah, the grass ain't greener, people. No. Because I don't think that I would have wanted Hi, to like share <laughs> my clothes and stuff, you know? Yeah, hey, Nick. I have a great brother. Same. So, yeah, these girls, they were all very close. Like, you know, they did normal sister things, like go to the beach together and yada, yada. (laughs) Donna Jean also loved children. She babysat all the time. She just, like, really, really liked kids. Um, Her family lived in an apartment building in the city's northeast end, and it was like a building that was kind of surrounded really closely by a couple other apartment buildings. So she regularly babysat for people like in their building, but as well as the building next door, which like you could literally okay. wave from their balcony. Yeah, I think to, we like, see over. that a lot in like shows or movies more so, but yeah, I think it's more in the States or maybe like bigger populous places where apartment buildings are all built on the same property, but like there isn't really roads between them. There's maybe like a playground or I was like going to say, or gardens I think and... that's kind of common with condo buildings nowadays in cities that there's like multiple different buildings and they're really close by. Oh, you mean like my condo I used to live in? I'm yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking of was the condo that you used to live in. <laughs> yes. So London, Ontario. RIP condo. Yeah. London, Ontario is a city in southwestern Ontario um, along the Quebec City-Windsor corridor 
In the year 2021, the city of London had a population of 422,324 people. So we, this is not a small town. Definitely mm-hmm. not a small town. Um, Hell no. London is approximately 200 kilometers from both Toronto and Detroit. And around 230 kilometers from Buffalo, New York. So just to kind of like give you an idea of where it is. Yeah, we thought about driving down to New York from Quebec. It's actually wild to me how close New York and stuff is to Ontario because before I... Yeah, it's like eight hours. Before I dated Brandon, I never really thought about it. Like, if you you think about it, it makes sense geographically. I just never put two and two together. Um, And then he would talk about, yeah, how they would just... Like they drive down to concerts and festivals and this and you're like, wait, wait, wait. What? What? I know. Wild. Between the years 1959 and 1984, London, Ontario was considered the murder capital of Canada. Our story today... Sure was. Yeah. Our story today takes place in 1983. Oh. Okay. October 13th, 1983 was a Thursday. 17-year-old Donna Jean Alcock was asked by her neighbor Michelle Maynard at the apartment building across the street if she could babysit that night so that she could head out to a local tavern, which is like a local bar. Yes. Michelle was a regular at the bars on this night, so it was not uncommon for Donna to be babysitting for her. The Alcock family lived in an apartment building at 88 Cheyenne Avenue, which is now known as Oakville Avenue. And the apartment that Donna was going to be babysitting at was at 86 Cheyenne Avenue. So it was like one over. But again, you could like see the units and wave and yeah. Again, across the street is really not far. Like across the parking lot, more or less. Yeah. Okay. Before Donna left, she kissed her mom goodbye and then walked over to babysit for the evening. Once she arrived, Michelle left and took the bus downtown where she met up with some of her her friends and they went out and drank at a couple of the bars. Um, She was with a group of friends who were also regulars and one of the people there as well was her friend Joanne. Uh, There was also a man who was hanging around at their table And Joanne later said that nobody in the friend group really knew who this guy was or was friends with them. He was just sort of there, which I think is like kind of common. You just like pick up a stray sometimes in your group of people. Like, I don't think he was the only guy there. Let's admit it. Someone in the group always finds someone they want to kind of sleep with and brings them along for the rest of the night. Or that. Yeah, I don't know. He, apparently he was just kind of there. Nobody really knew him. He wasn't friends with ever, anybody, but he was there just along for the ride with them. Pub crawl. Sure. Party joined the group of strangers. <laughs> yeah. At 11 o'clock that evening, Donna came out of Michelle's apartment building and blew her mom Carolyn a kiss from across the parking lot. And this was the last time that Carolyn would see her daughter alive. Aww. I can just picture that, blowing your parents a kiss or someone a kiss as you walk away. And again, this was really, really normal. Like, she babysat for Michelle all the time. She was a regular yeah, was like, on this night during the week. Yeah, exactly. Details about when Michelle left the bar are unclear. We have kind of an idea. So, 
The first thing that we're not sure about is we are not sure if Michelle asked this mystery man for a ride home or if he offered her a ride home. But at some point, either way, she gets a ride home from this mystery man that was at their table at the bar. Um, and they're going back to the apartment. They decide to stop for pizza. This would have been around 1 a.m. They eat a few slices of pizza in the car, but Michelle says that she saved a couple of slices to share with Donna and said there was probably like four or five pieces left. This next part of the story is a little bit unclear as well. Um, So in version one, Michelle and this man arrive home. Michelle tells him to wait in the car so that she could go up, send Donna home, and then he could come up to the apartment after she had left. In version two, Michelle went up to the apartment and told the man to wait in the car, but he came up and knocked on the apartment door and asked for some pizza, and Michelle told says no and told him to go away. So either way, Michelle takes the pizza in to share with Donna Jean. She goes into the apartment by herself and tells this man to wait in the car. Like either way, that's yeah, the he story should not as have been happens. in the unit or the condo, or whatever. Not until Donna Jean had gone home and then he was going to be coming upstairs. Yeah. They should not have crossed paths, in other words. Yeah. And it's not really explained how he would have known where Michelle's apartment was at that point, but it was at the very top of the stairwell, like the first apartment adjacent so to the top of the stairs. Well, maybe she just said, like, just come up the stairs. It's the first unit across the stairwell or whatever. Like, it would be easy yeah, to mean, describe. I We can all probably say we've gone... Plans have changed and someone's come over to our house, like, you know, unexpectedly. And we go, hey, I'm going to run inside. Give me, like, five minutes to, A, put the dog on its leash, tidy up for a second, grab something. Yeah. And then say, like, oh, that's my door. Just come in. It'll be open. Yeah, exactly. And like I said, it would have been really easy to describe because of what apartment it was. So I feel like that's whatever. Michelle also said that she didn't know his name and she hadn't learned it. Um, It is possible that she did at some point and just didn't remember because her friend Joanne Mm -hmm. said that Michelle was very intoxicated that night. But either way, Michelle didn't remember what his name was. Okay. Happens. I mean. So after Michelle and Donna share a slice of pizza together, she tells her that she's free to go home for the night. But then she asks her if she wouldn't mind going to grab her a pack of cigarettes from the nearby convenience store, which was called a variety store. It was like right by the apartment. But I guess she got home and realized she didn't have any smokes. So she just gave her cash and asked if she could just run to the store and grab her some smokes before she went home. Um, it was like 1.30 a.m. on a... <laughs> Thursday night. I was going to say, you're asking a young person to go get you cigarettes randomly with just like cash in hand. Okay. It was a different time. It was, yes. It was the 80s. So cash was pretty normal. Uh, Mm -hmm. But Donna says yes to Michelle. She took the cash from her and she left to go buy her cigarettes. Um, And the store was pretty close to where they were. I believe I have like the actual proximity later on but anyways we'll get there by 2 30 a.m so about an hour later donna still had not returned to the apartment with michelle's cigarettes um so michelle decides to go out herself to look for her and 
gets to the store. The clerk at the store confirms that Donna Jean had been in the store, but she says that she looked, quote, terrified. Michelle then says at this point she assumed Donna had gone home, so she bought her cigarettes and she just went back to her apartment. Did the guy say, though, like he sold her the cigarettes or anything? Or he just said, like, she got here and then just left? Just she got here and she looked scared. Um, Later, when the police questioned the clerk, the clerk says that she actually asked to use the phone and the clerk told her that she couldn't and it was against their policy and wouldn't let her use the phone. And then somebody else... Even after acknowledging she was looking terrified? Apparently. And then somebody else who knew Donna Jean saw her claims to have seen her in the store as she was leaving the store and said something to her and she just like gave her a blank stare and left so something really spooked her yes okay um in a later statement Michelle said that the night Donna failed to come home she actually did call the police to report the incident but was told that she probably went home or would come back and then she never heard from them again about it so helpful yeah donna's mother carolyn woke up the next morning went into donna's room to wake her up however she wasn't there um her bed had not even been touched so carolyn immediately knew that something was wrong because donna had never called to say she wouldn't be coming home it was extremely like her like we said earlier she was a homebody she loved her parents and her sisters and being at home like she would never just sleep over somewhere and not tell anyone the same way like the older i get i'm like i don't want to sleep anywhere else oh same i don't i don't i will go home at four o'clock in the morning before i sleep at somebody else's house um Yeah. yeah So Carolyn sent one of Donna Jean's sisters over to Michelle's apartment when she woke up and she wasn't there to go see if she had like fallen asleep there by accident or something. Um, But apparently Michelle didn't open the door for her and just yelled through the door that Donna had gone home the night before. So that's interesting. That is weird. Okay. Because this was so uh, like out of character for Donna Jean, her parents immediately called the police. Uh, unfortunately, the police told them that they needed to wait 24 hours to file a missing persons report oh. and that Donna probably ran away and would come back, which makes me feel like the statement earlier from Michelle that she called them and was just told like, oh, she'll come back was like p- probably true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Agreed. Her family knew that Donna didn't run away, so they immediately organized a search party uh, informing family and friends that she was missing. On Friday, October 14th, 1983, two boys who knew Donna decided to walk down an embankment to the Thames River just west of what's called the Fanshawe Dam uh, to look for her. One of these boys was actually her ex-boyfriend named Todd. Uh, And it was him and a friend that decided to take their dog to see if they could go find her or have the dog alert them to anything. Mm -hmm. Todd said he had a roommate with a dog, so they decided to take this dog out. um, And he said they walked around. Everything seemed pretty ordinary. Uh, They headed toward a cornfield and walked uh, over to a gravel pit in the direction of a dead end road. 
this uh, this road goes to a path that leads up to what is known as the Fanshawe Dam. Uh, Todd says when they went to leave this er- area, the dog started to act up weird, like whining and pulling at its leash and just mm-hmm. alerting to something. They're on the riverside, and so he said they started to look around, and that's when they saw what looked like it might be a body. He said at this point he didn't know if it was Donna or not because the body was face down, um, but they decided to call the police. Okay. So the boys called the police who came to the scene. However, this part is literally infuriating. It was unclear because of where she was found if she was in the jurisdiction of the London Police Department or the OPP, which we know is the Ontario Provincial Police. Police. Yeah. So her body was actually just left there at the river's edge until almost midnight. Midnight. And she was found like when it was light out by these boys. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Okay. Uh, until it was eventually determined that it was in the jurisdiction of the OPP. So she's found on the river's edge. She didn't actually reach the water. However, it was apparently raining that day. Um, So even with the use of a tarp, it's very possible that evidence could end up contaminated or washed away or anything with that long of a delay. The fact that they weren't worried also about like the tide rising if it's raining. And just the fact that she's a human being. There's also evidence. Well, yeah, but I mean, we've all seen a crime scene being preserved under yeah. some type of sheeting because they take a long time to process. So true. I try to, I'm trying to be mindful of that. But That's just a really long it's time. So really disrespectful. It's just so long. To just be like, oh, let's flip a coin. No, yeah. guys, it's a human life. Yeah. So once it was determined that her body was found in the jurisdiction of the OPP, Donna's father was able to ID the body as hers at around 2.30 a.m. on Saturday morning. Okay. So even with the delay in removing her body from the river's edge, the police do say that they have a preserved DNA sample from her body. Oh, okay. Well, that's at least a positive because it could have been washed away. You're right. Donna Jean was found partially nude, and there was evidence that she had been sexually assaulted and beaten to death. There was also an orange plastic bag shoved down her throat um, that was, like, still sticking out of her mouth when she was found, and her cause of death was listed as manual strangulation. She was found only two kilometers northwest of her home. So she was found super close to where she was taken from. So has the boyfriend that did the search been ruled out? Yeah. So Donna's family was obviously suspicious of Todd and thought that he found her body like kind of suspiciously fast. He kind of knew where to go. He made sure someone was with him when he located it. Mm -hmm. It's like He was ruled out of the investigation by police with DNA. And it is believed that he found the body so fast because he knows the area so well and because of this dog. Like, they were just honestly in the right place at the right time. And they had this dog alerting him to something being in the area. The roommate was... It's just not, like, a small town. I know. So it's not like you have, like, 
this one place that everybody goes and knows about because it's like the spot to go. Yeah, the roommate was also ruled out with DNA and both boys were interviewed extensively and were not thought to have anything to do with this. Again, two kilometers from her home, you could say if maybe he lives in the same area of here and he knows the area well, he could know where to look. Um, I guess they could have gone there together a lot too or anything, right? Like it's Todd did say that you would not know that that road was a dead-end road and that secluded unless you were from that area and that you would have had to have had a car to get there. Okay, well, that makes a bit more sense then. So if it's, like, the secluded spot in your, like, neighborhood, so to speak, then okay. But, yeah, yeah, it just felt weird when you were explaining it, like he shows up with someone else and all that. It's just, it was weird. Definitely. No, I agree, but they were both ruled out and... um, I mean, it is helpful information to know that mm-hmm. you'd have to be more than likely no local or, like, really well-known to the area to know where that is. Yeah. Hmm. When the OPP began their investigation, they were unable to locate Michelle, the woman that Donna had been babysitting for, for six days after Donna disappeared and was found murdered. They were just not able to find her. She just disappeared. Shush, shush. It's possible that she was afraid of the police for, you know, whatever reason um, and knew that it was her who asked Donna to go to the store so late. Um, it's also possible she could and be hi- hiding something, but... Potentially introduced her to this stranger... Yeah, I just feel like some a lot of people just don't have a great relationship with the police. And so I don't know that it's like immediately suspicious that somebody is like a little bit nervous, potentially, that they were the last person to see someone alive. Like, you know, that would scare yeah. anyone. So I don't know. I don't think it's yeah. necessarily it's it doesn't look great, but I don't think it's a smoke and gun if you will yeah i get it when the police finally did interview michelle they were able to get a a description of the man who drove her home that night they also interviewed her friend joanne and they took so they took her description of the man and they took michelle's description of the man and they just combined them into one and that's what they made a composite sketch off of um, this drawing was released to the media and the man was dubbed the mystery man. Joanne later said that the composite sketch the looked fuck? nothing like the person that she remembered seeing. So this, you know. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't work like that, guys. You don't just put all the descriptions in a blender and hope for the best. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so Michelle was actually also given a polygraph test and at the time the results were inconclusive she did take another polygraph in 2013 however and passed that one in the second exam the polygraph administrator focused on questions around if she was withholding information or if she knew who killed donna jean or if anyone had confessed to her over the years and the exam showed she was being truthful on all of those main topics i looked into it a little bit further and The inconclusive results from her original polygraph exam were Mm -hmm. something along the lines of like, uh, did you kill, two of the questions were like, did you kill Donna Jean 
Alcock or do you know who killed Donna Jean Alcock? And she like, one of those was inconclusive, but it's like not possible to have one be true and the other not. Like, I think it was, did you kill Donna Jean Alcock was the question that she was like inconclusive on. And then she Mm -hmm. passed, do you know who killed Donna Jean Alcock? But if she killed Donna Jean, then she would know who killed Donna Jean. So it doesn't make sense that, do you know? Do you see what I'm going with this? Do they just hope that her brain will interpret those the way they want? I think that they just saw that one of the questions didn't have a perfect pass and said it was inconclusive. But I, I looked into it, and that literally was the question that was yeah. So, <laughs> anywho, is it? Jeez, Louise. Okay. Yeah. So the the second exam from 2013 showed she was being truthful on all like the main kind of stuff. Um, So during the investigation, just we'll hop back again, the OPP also began going out to all the bars that Michelle attended that night and interviewing witnesses who may have met and interacted with this mystery man. To this day, this man has never been identified and has never come forward. Nobody has a clue. Wow, weird. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the police, from what I can find, did not canvas the area, like the apartment convenience store area, to see if anybody who lived by, uh, like, saw anything or heard anything that night. They just went and canvassed, like, the bars and were trying to get more information about this guy. Um, but it was, like, 2 o'clock in the morning. And from the information I can find from, like, neighbors that lived there at that time, there was absolutely no street lights. Like, it was pitch black. You wouldn't have been able to see anything yeah, at that so time Yeah, so even if you heard something, you wouldn't be able to identify what it was. Yeah, so, like, nobody would have been seeing anything unless it was directly Jeez. in front of them, which I hope you would call. If you see something, say something, people. That's the deal. That is the deal. So the biggest question right now in this case is, like, who was this man who drove Michelle home that night? Why has he never come forward? Um, And does he have anything to do with Don Jean disappearing? Which a lot of people think that he does. Joanne said that he seemed... Yeah, Joanne said he seemed like a nice enough guy. He didn't seem weird, but she didn't remember hearing his name. And again, he wasn't known to anybody in the group of their friends that night. Um, The other thing about this as well in order to go from michelle's apartment to this variety store donna jean Mm -hmm. would have like come out of the apartment gone down directly down the stairs like i said um and then she would have had to walk through the parking lot to take like the most convenient route to the store so if for whatever this reason this man was sitting in a car in the parking lot waiting to go upstairs he would have seen her walk by and would have known what path she took to go there and like could have potentially just been waiting for her to come back yeah i didn't even think of that Right? Because he could have just been, like, sitting there and watching. He's just lurking. Yeah. Or anybody. Even maybe not him, but anybody could have just been lurking and watching her path going to the store knowing that she's going to come back. Yeah. Oh, God. That's so scary. Yeah. The police, like I said, they go back to the variety store. They interview the store clerk 
clerk who told police that Donna asked to use the phone that night, but the clerk denied her and said that they weren't allowed to do that. And then, like I said, the witness inside the store also asked Donna if she was okay, but she just mm-hmm. stares at this person blankly and leaves. And this is somebody who was actually known to her. Yeah, you said it was a family friend or something, right? Yeah. So she has no reason to ignore them. Like, it's just... Yeah, I'm She's trying busy to find or something like that. the like proximity of this store to the apartment building. I thought for sure that I had this written down, but it's like something ridiculously close. Like you can see it from the building. It's like you walk across the street kind of deal. Okay. It's probably like our old apartment to like the grocery store. Yeah, just really close. I don't know. It's I don't know that it's even that important, but just trying to emphasize that it's very close the uh donna's case went quiet for a while until february of 1998 when the london police and the opp jointly announced project angel which was a combining of forces to look at 20 unsolved murders in the london and surrounding areas um 14 out of the 20 victims in this project were from london ontario and donna jean's case was included in this project nice In 1998, the Toronto Star's Nick Prawn reported that the police believed some of the murders could be the work of one or two serial killers. He also reported that Project Angel was believed to be the largest reopening of old murder cases in the country's policing history. Project Angel investigators applied new science to old murders, including methods such as DNA testing of body fluid samples from blood Uh, semen and saliva at the center of forensic sciences in toronto and hair and skin tissue were also analyzed investigators also used computer databases to compare patterns between different murders and interview potential witnesses Uh, no serial killer was revealed from this project uh, and other sexual murders included in project angel were the murder of Jacqueline Dunleavy from London in 1968. She was 16 years old and the 1969 murder of 15-year-old Jacqueline English. Just babies. Yeah. And like I said, during this period up until 1984, London was considered the murder capital of Canada. um, And a Mm -hmm. lot of those murders are still considered unsolved. In 2013, so this is when that second polygraph test that I was just talking about happened, Donna's case was featured on the show To Catch a Killer. Did you ever watch this? (laughs) Yeah. Okay. I didn't, um, but I watched Donna Jean's episode of it, like for this episode. And oh my goodness. Did you love it? Yeah, it's just very (laughs) like 2000s cheesy oh the way it's done which i really appreciate like i thought it was a great blast from the past and i love that it's just not how you see documentaries and stuff done now and so it's funny like it's it's definitely oh for sure um but there was a lot of really good information that came out of this episode so her episode was featured as episode one um and the show is hosted by mark mike Arntfield, sorry, who at the time was a working police officer and a university professor. 
So for this episode, Mike Arntfield interviewed Michelle's friend Joanne again. And this is when Joanne tells him that that composite drawing of the mystery man that was originally created was just like a a dud. Essentially, yes, was a dud. Was just a combining of like two people's remembering and then just somebody drew it. Yeah. So using this new technology with Mike and his team, Joanne helped work with them to create a new composite sketch of the mystery man that was more accurate to what she remembered him to look like. And it's so crazy now, too, because like before you used to have to like tell the artist and they would kind of draw it out and be like, is that it? Is that it? So it would take a long time between each step. And I think that alone can cause a lot of confusion looking at different features over and over. But now with like computer technology, you can kind of like scan through and be like, oh, that looks like them. Yeah, if you watch the episode, which you can just Google it, I'll link it in the show notes. Um, But they actually show kind of a little bit of the process on the computer screen and stuff. And it's really cool. cool. Yeah. Yeah. The show also uncovered some interesting information about potential suspects in the case. They found old meter reports that showed there was an escaped convicted murderer living in London, Ontario at the same time this crime took place. This man's name was Joe Shepard. And if you want to hear all about Joe Shepard, go to podcast by patreon.com slash podcast by proxy because I have done all the research on this man and we're going to talk about him over on Patreon, but At the time, he was going by the alias Joe Tripp, and he had been convicted of the murder and rape of two teenage girls in 1976 and 1978, both 15 and 16 years old. It gets so much worse. As it turns out, Michael Maynard, who is the brother of Michelle Maynard, where Donna was babysitting the night she went missing... Mm-hmm. was at Joe Tripp's apartment that night having drinks on his balcony. Let me guess where he lived. I think they lived nearby. I'm going to guess somewhere we probably saw her. Well, or Michael... potentially could have seen her if he's suspected in this. Yeah, so spoiler alert he ends up being ruled out by dna as well i know but we still want like i still wanted to cover his other crimes because his story is actually pretty wild um Mm -hmm. so yeah we're gonna talk all about that over on patreon but it's just such a wild connection that like that is crazy the brother of the person she's babysitting for was hanging out with a convicted murderer who has escaped at the same time that this took place and just profile yeah 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 Yeah, it's shocking michael maynard was known to hang around both joe and michelle's apartment complexes frequently and It was alleged that apparently Michael Maynard told someone just days prior to Donna being murdered that one day he was going to, quote, have his way with her. Um, He passed away in 2001. I found two sources, one that says Michael Maynard was eliminated with DNA and another that said it was unknown. So I would hope 
that Michael Maynard's DNA would have been tested as a potential suspect just based on all of we the things help. I just said uh, was going on that night. But like I said, the police have said that Joe Shepard slash Joe Tripp was excluded by DNA in this case. I just can't confirm 100% that Michael Maynard has been. And like... Okay. It was Donna's family that said he said that quote. Oh, weird. Yeah. And it was apparently like just days before. And of course, if he hung around Michelle's apartment and Donna babysat there enough, it's very possible that they crossed paths and that he had seen her. And again. Well, that could have also linked to. With a rapist. You go outside. If you see some guy there and he goes, you kind of recognize him and he goes, oh, let me drive you to the store. It's late. Yeah. That could be anything. Yeah. Yeah, maybe he, like, decided to go to his sister's and then sees her walking by herself. Like, literally anything, but, yeah. So that's a lot. So, yeah, Joe Shepard excluded. Michael Maynard still up in the air. Okay. In 1998, Joe Shepard was arrested and extradited back to Tennessee, In 1995, he was investigated as a suspect officially in Donna's murder, and this is when his DNA was run with a blood sample, and he was excluded. Joe Shepard died in 2010 in prison. Michelle said that she did... As long as his DNA was run. Yeah, he's been excluded. Um, But again, Michael, not so much. We're not sure, anyways. Yeah. I would hope that his DNA would have been run. It doesn't make sense that it wouldn't, but... You never know. Yeah, you never know. Uh, Michelle says that she did not see Michael the night Donna disappeared and seemed like genuinely shocked to find out that Joe Tripp was actually an escaped convicted murderer from the U.S. As we mentioned earlier, Michelle took that second polygraph, which was actually on the show in 2013, and she passed um, with respect to knowing anything about who killed Donna. Okay. As well, in 2013, Donna's sister, Tammy Dennett, who has spent the rest of her life fighting to get justice for Donna, convinced the OPP to double the initial reward for information in Donna's case from $25,000 to $50,000. She has also plastered... Yeah. um, and huge. There was, like, an article I read where someone was like, oh, I don't think it's going to be money in this case that solves it. It's been so long. It's going to be DNA. But it's like, dude, and anything helps. What are you going to tell somebody not to fight for? Thing is, for whatever they can get. To do the DNA testing or it's going to take money to get a reward to get the information. It's always money. It's always money at the end of the day. Yeah. Tammy also plastered the new reward signs and new composite sketch around East London. And she just like feels in her in her heart that somebody out there still knows something like there is somebody alive that knows something about what happened to her sister. I would agree. Someone always knows something. Paul Bernardo was actually investigated also as a potential suspect in this case. He's probably just like so often. He's probably just investigated as a potential suspect as like literally any case that kind of matches that profile in South, like in Southern Ontario because he sucks. Um, But he was eliminated by DNA as well. Okay. The uh, the DNA. Not that I was worried. 
fucking Paul Bernardo. Right. We did do a two-part series on Carla Homolka and pa- Paul Bernardo in 2021. It's still up on our main feed if you're interested and haven't listened. And ha- if you don't know about that story or you just feel like Disgusting. brushing up, it's there. The DNA found on Donna was added to CODIS, which is the combined DNA index system. Um, and how CODIS works, I think we've talked about CODIS on the show before, but for anybody that's yeah. new or just as like kind of a refresher of what it is and how it works, CODIS essentially has a system with two sets of samples. So one side has crime scene samples and the other side has convicted offender samples. Every 24 hours and, and um, DNA and samples from crime scenes is constantly being added as well as, of course, mm-hmm. convicted offenders. So... Every yeah, 20 logged in the lab, they're added to the system. Exactly, yeah. So every 24 hours, these systems are run against each other to see if there are any matches. Um, so what it means when we say that there's been no CODIS hits in Donna's case is that this means no other crime scenes in the system have the same DNA sample and no existing offender on file matches the DNA sample. Yes. Yes. Statistically, it is most likely that Donna was killed by somebody who knew her. Um, all I, of the I agree. Inf- yeah, and I mean, essentially, especially because there's no like CODIS hits. Obviously, it's not linked to any like major cases that have been solved. Um, and it, I mean, people are just usually killed by somebody they know. It's very, very, yeah, very statistically rare. more common. Yeah, to be abducted and killed by a stranger, even though we talk about it so often on this show, we really are talking about the 1%. Mm-hmm. Get such a small number of people that are actually, um, like, taken or killed by a stranger. Yeah. Uh, all of the information that was learned in this documentary was, of course, passed to the OPP. Um, in 2016, the OPP re- returned a purse that they had taken as potential evidence from Donna Jean to her family after 33 years. And they gave, like, no explanation as to why they kept it for so long. They just like gave an ex-girlfriend. It's like, oh, I forgot something. It's just like a reason to see each other. They literally just gave it back one day. Um, but... Donna's sister, Tammy, said that it was, like, opening a time capsule. So I guess the purse contained, like, 20 photos of family and friends. Um, It had a Pepsi button pinned to the front that said, trust your own taste. There was Uh handwritten notes inside of the purse and a small corsage. Um, Donna was actually not in possession of her purse the night of her murder, but the police, like, picked it up from her family as potential evidence and then just never gave it back until November of 2016. So weird. Super, super weird. Yeah. Like I mentioned before, Tammy Dennett has dedicated her life to finding the monster that killed her sister, Donna. She said both of their parents fell to their knees and that her dad aged 10 years overnight when learning that Donna had been murdered Her mother, Carolyn, said losing Donna felt like someone took her heart and ripped it out of her chest. And Tammy said their father never recovered from Donna's murder and he passed away in 2004. 
Um, Carolyn, Aww. from everything that I can find, is still alive. Tammy created a group called Donna's Angels in 2010 to donate Christmas presents and a meal to a family in need in Donna's honor. Aww. Isn't that so nice? Yeah. And we've talked about it before. We both love doing like gift and um, mm-hmm. like meal donations and stuff at Christmas. So I just thought that was so nice. Each it year, is. approximately 30 women gather for lunch and contribute what they can to provide a full Christmas for a family in need. Um, T- Tammy created the group out of Donna's love for children and said, quote, Don- Donna loved children. She loved to babysit and her nieces and nephews were the apple of her eye. She loved kids. So I thought, why can't we help someone in Donna's name? That's Tammy. So sweet. Isn't that so, so sweet? Tammy also created the Facebook page Justice for Donna Jean Alcock, which you can join and confirmed on that Facebook page. I was just kind of going through the comments that DNA was taken from Donna when she was found and that it is in the databases. Um, They did comment that the DNA has not been sent to any labs in the U.S. that specialize in genealogy. However, it seems since the arrest of... Uh, Joseph George Sutherland, which uh, happened a couple of months ago, investigators are going to be looking to see if he is responsible for any more unsolved murders in Ontario. So that could include Donna's as well. Joseph George Sutherland was recently arrested for the 1983 Toronto, Ontario murders of Aaron Gilmore and Susan Tice. Um, Othram Labs, which we have talked about before, which is a, a lab in the USA that specializes in genetic genealogy, is the lab that solved this one. And so we're hopeful that investigators will continue to work with them um, to test DNA like Donna's and others because there's so many cases like this. So many. So yeah, that's um, hopefully we see some sort of a result from that in the next year or so as they begin to test more um, unsolved murders against his DNA. So, of course, this case remains open to this day. As of 2017, the investigation was under the direction of the OPP criminal investigation, uh, investigation branch detective inspector Randy Wright. The province continues to offer a $50,000 cash reward for information in connection with Donna Jean's murder, in addition to a cash reward of up to $2,000 from police. The police are confident that someone in the community has vital information that would lead them to the person or persons responsible for Donna's death. If you have any information regarding the murder of Donna Jean Alcock, please contact the OPP at one 888 Three one zero one one two two or Crime Stoppers at one eight hundred two 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 eight four seven seven. Um. So yeah, that one Jeez. is just crazy. It's so nuts to me that they're like the connection with Joe Shepherd, Joe Trip, <laughs> whatever. Um, and the fact that he has been completely ruled out is wild. I think if Michael Maynard hasn't had his DNA tested, that there's a huge missed opportunity there. What are we waiting for? Um, He was with Joe Shepard that night. We have a potential statement that he made a comment about Donna Jean. And, you know, if that DNA hasn't been tested, 
what the heck are we waiting for? So yeah, that's everything that I could find on her murder. This actually was a case suggestion. Um, I don't remember who suggested it. Maybe I can find that. But thank you so much to whoever did. This one was really, really interesting. Um, and again, we are going to be talking about the crimes of Joe Shepard over on Patreon. So you can find the link for that in the show notes. And um, yeah, we'll see you over there. Yeah. That's crazy that I agree. That was like way too close of a coincidence for it to be turned out to be nothing, really. I know. Uh, I totally agree. But this, yeah, this one seems solvable. Like, given the just like the general mass of units in that apartment building, and if you can see the store from there, it just seems like at any given time there had to be a set of eyes on her. Yeah. So. Yeah, it must have been on Instagram that I saw this case come through, but um, thank you so much to whoever suggested it. Um, continue to send case suggestions our way, podcastbyproxy yes. at gmail.com. We absolutely do go through them, and we will cover it eventually. Um, even if it's not in the next couple of weeks, you will hear it eventually because there's just... <laughs> yeah. It shocks me that there just continues to be more and more. I mean, I don't, it doesn't shock me. It's just, we cover some like really awful stuff on this show. And I acknowledge that. And it's sad that it feels like it's getting worse instead of better sometimes. Mm -hmm. That's just how I feel. Maybe I'm looking at it the wrong way, but sometimes it's just hard. It's a hard, it's a hard pill to swallow when it just seems like, it's no, it doesn't stop. I get it. So, anyways, and I, yeah, thank you I so much it. for being here and for supporting us. We appreciate it so 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 much. Thank you. Yeah. Bye. Bye. I'll call you soon. Okay. <gasps> okay. Bye. 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 How do I stop this shit? I'll stop it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Fuck me.